Welcome to episode 15 of the Setting the Edge podcast. I'm Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q if you want to see me fight every single Tennessee fan on Twitter. <laughs> um, I'm here with my co-host, Charles McDonald. You can find him on, at Twitter, on, at 4Verts. I'm horrible Jesus at English Christ, there. Dude. And like Good our, start. our draft father, draft father, Eric Stoner, at Bo Jackson. Say what's up to the people, Bo. How you doing, guys? Is this my first appearance on the show? Second. Second? Second. I've already been on here before? Okay. All right, so my... Uh... <laughs> We're off to a strong start here. Yeah, we're off to a strong start. We're just going to do this whole episode with Eric because Eric's got takes. Eric texted me at like 1 o'clock in the morning one time when I was at a bar about linebackers talking about Anthony Walker. And I was like, ah, all right, he's ready to get these takes off. He saw the combine. He's seen linebackers. He's good. He's good money for this. Yeah, dude, this is, uh, this is the season. I really don't care about football until we get to like that – Really like the combine. This is when the interesting stuff is for me. The the shit that happens on the field, like I don't know. It was very very boring. Uh, I know Chuck's heart got broken at the end of the season, but overall, I uh, felt like uh, just the last few seasons really have been uh, kind of a boring product on the field. And the combine is really, like I said, the combine is really when um, all of the the interesting stuff that sets wheels in motion and like how Sigmund talks about how like uh, alternate universes get spun off. Like when this week starts, basically. Yeah. All right. So what have we learned? What have we learned this week? So Christian McCaffrey has somehow digged himself out of that hole that he that he did uh, when he skipped the college ball game, right? So yeah, his bowl, McCaffrey, his, his bowl <laughs> game and my him not playing in his bowl game and Miles Garrett playing in his. Uh, nobody really gives a shit about either one at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miles so Garrett, athletic surprise. Huge surprise. Yeah, we're actually going to talk about that. Uh, we'll dig into that one because I thought that all the work that Justin Higdon at Draft Breakdown has been doing. Uh, <laughs> high school, he's been charting uh, high school athletic times to try to figure out like what guys are going to test at the, at the combine, basically. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting stuff. It's really, really valuable if you're degenerates like us that bet on the combine. Campus? Yes. Sir. Yeah. If, if yeah. you gamble and bet on the combine, you're nerds like us. Like that information. Like that's just a treasure trove of information. Because uh, I mean, just going through the stuff that he's uncovered. There's only there, this is really the first couple of years where we've had you know high school numbers widely available. There's not really a whole like most guys. Their athletic profile does not change hugely in high school. I mean, other than guys that uh, have huge, huge. Uh, like DeForest Buckner going from 210 pounds to 295 or whatever it was that he ended up coming out yeah. at. Other than those huge body changes, like these guys are still pretty much the same, the same caliber of athlete, just give or take 10, 10 pounds or so. Yeah. One of the weird ones on the other end, because because Miles Garrett got a lot better, right? I I can't remember what he. Really well, the thing was but... is that his his forty and his shuttle times were really bad in high school, but he had a crazy vert, I think, for uh for what his size was, because he's all. I mean, Justice, you and I have talked about this before with like uh throughout his the history of recruiting high school, uh mm. edge players from high school to college. Usually, like the bigger, true edges at the high school level have traditionally not been the ones that have pounded out it's been kind of the undersized tweeners that don't really have a right. position in high school and those like th those are the guys that blossom into your, your it's Vic Beasley nowhere. who's playing tight end or receiver and things like that right. and they end up getting moved over right. yeah exactly but uh it's, he's one it's of gotten better bodies. recently though it's yeah. gotten better recently like I've I've looked at 24 7 and like you could look at their DN I don't know if it's like the film right if it's just like you're getting clear film so like these guys who are ranking guys on the internet or whatever well, it just might be like the uh, the systems and everything that as as high school football is adjusting, right. um, you're just seeing those guys. You're seeing guys being projected into their their natural positions earlier. Probably that would be my guess. I don't know for sure. Yeah, one one of the weird ones was Jonathan Allen. So like Jonathan Allen, people were talking about he's next Sue, right? Next yeah. Watt. That's what people were saying. Jonathan Allen coming out of high school. I think he ran like a four five five, but he was doing it at like two fifty. Really? Yeah, he was yeah, two fifty five in high school. school. Yeah, he 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 was like a receiver or something until his like sophomore year of high school or something weird. That's a that's a weird and interesting body transformation right there. Yeah, because he's he's two eighty something. People thought he might have been closer to three hundred, uh, coming into the combine, and then he ran a five second flat forty and like two eighty had, 
had a legitimately bad combine, and it's hard to have a bad combine at that size. Yeah, I, well, I mean, because 280, that's kind of like the uh, like the the prototype, so to say, of the traditional 4-3 defensive end, right? Like you would yeah. say. Yeah, 6-3, like the, the true, Like the true old-school 4-3 defensive end that has his hand in the ground on every play and plays on the edge. Yeah. Like, what, what did he measure in height-wise? 6-2 and a half. Uh, Oh, so he's short. He's a he's a short two eighty. He's not even like yeah, but yeah, that, that yeah, that's a that's a that's a body type and a athletic profile for that body type that you don't really have a whole lot to uh, to point to projection wise. Oh, did you have see you already uh, seen like body like uh, composite scores like in comparables for? Yes, for sure. That's what I was about to ask you. I was going through that when you guys were trying to rush me onto this damn podcast. I only got through like eight names, but. Uh, I'm. I'll go through. I'll go through some of the names. Um. So for uh, Jonathan Allen, uh, Mario Edwards. Oh, that kind of makes sense. Yep. Uh, Tackers McKinley, Marcus Smith. Okay. I mean, looking back on it, that kind of makes sense. We look at the pad level issue. That Ex- yep. Has. Explosive guy with pad level issues. Uh, Solomon Thomas is Chris Long. Okay, I can see that actually. Um, these guys are probably guys you don't even know. Charles Harris, Charles Harris from Missouri. He's kind of an explosive guy. I thought he was going to be young Everson Griffin. He's in fact Jarvis Jones. Uh, Carl Lawson from Auburn. You probably actually know who he is. He basically had Dante Fowler's uh, height, height, weight, speed, and three cone. He's basically so they're uh, the same player then. Yeah. No, so Carl knows how to play football though. Carl Carl also had four four sacks in the SEC. Or something like that. Because okay. Carl Lawson didn't even produce really until this past year. And then he became an All-American. But like Dante Fowler, I remember Dante Fowler had what? Like six sacks in his best season at Florida? He had eight and a half and like four of them came in ECU. the bowl game. Yeah. So he had four and a half sacks through the regular season. I'm just trying to think of like narratives right now. So the running backs went on day one. I don't well, let's go. Let's go back to uh, Let's go back to the D-line real quick. Okay. Um. Solomon Thomas. I know you guys have talked about this a little bit, but right. now that we have uh, now that we have a full like physical profile of him, what like what is he in the NFL? He's an end. End. Yeah, I think I think we were team end anyway because when he plays three, he can't hold up against double teams. No, like he gets driven five yards off the ball. You want him playing one on one. Yeah. So, so why why do most people think like why are so many people? Because he played no, he played nose tackle in college. He played like he was a true freshman starter at nose tackle for Stanford. So well, people so it's kind of, it's, it's really not it, what it sounds like is it's really not that different from like uh, what people were projecting with Ziggy Anta. We even Preston Smith too. Right. Yeah. 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 I didn't really like, watch Preston coming out, so I watched a little bit of him, but not a ton. But it's like it's like the same situation where they're kind of playing a lot of four and four I, and I think people just don't think about what else they can do, so they get kind of stuck on that. Uh, fit for the NFL, but how many guys are playing four tech at like 270 pounds and really holding up strong there? No, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Yeah, well, it's you, not you, what you gotta, you gotta understand like what the entire role and the purpose of the, the four eye defender is in a defensive scheme. Like the four eye for, for most schemes, it's like you're using that right, guy. You gotta explain what a four eye is. Cause I, okay, I uh, got coached uh, by numbers inside, inside, inside the tackle. Of- Inside, inside the shade tackle. of the tackle. And and what, so if he's sport. playing on the tight end side, he's actually going to be on the inside shade of the tight end. Because you're never going to have – you're never really going to have a four eye and a three tech right next to each other in a front. No. You know what I mean? You're never going to – I mean, unless you're doing the, that those weird pass rushing set that, that the Seattle guys do. Um, so you're never going to have a, a guy inside shade of the tackle and a three tech lined up right next to each other. So if, if they're on the tight end side, if it's an over front and the, the front is aligned to the tight end side – He's going to shift over and be inside eye of the tight end. And really, that guy's only responsibility in a defense, you don't care about him getting reached because he's beat by alignment anyways. And so you really just, you're having him play through whoever is on his inside gap. So he if he's inside shade of the tight end, he's playing through the offensive tackle. Um, all And really, the only purpose of that position is it's to clean up and to make the uh, the force reads really, really easy and defined for whoever the overhang player is behind him. Because um, usually that overhang player is going to have to be apexed out in space. He might be in the box. 
So really all it's doing is just cleaning up uh, who, who is going to be the guy turning the ball back inside. You're telling you're telling the 4-I, like, I never care about you getting reached. You're beat on a reach by alignment anyways, so just fight through it. Uh, hold up against double teams and play through the offensive tackle. If you can get any pass rush, that's great. And, and when you have a 4-I that's a really, really dominant player, basically like what Joey Bosa was for Ohio State, that's what makes your defense basically impossible to score on. Because the 4-I is in a really bad, hard alignment to generate any sort of pass rush or to be a disruptive player up the field. He's basically just a hold-the-point player. Um, so when you really do have those special guys that play 4-I, like how Bosa did at OSU, like I said, it, it makes your defense almost impossible to score on. All three of us have played offensive line, and I think people under great shades. Because, like, if a dude's on your – if you have to reach a dude who's on your outside shoulder, that's that makes your life so much easier than you having to try to reach a guy who's next to, you, like, your inside of your tight end shoulder or whatever if you're playing right. offensive tackle. Yeah. Like, that that sucks so bad. One, well, I mean, one extra just, step means sucks that much worse because you have to absolutely. beat that guy with athleticism. And usually – I mean, especially in the NFL, even at college – uh, you know, defensive linemen are just more athletic than offensive linemen, and having that one extra step for that lineman just helps you more. It's why guys playing wide nine and stuff on the outside. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about, like, we know Solomon Thomas is a freak, obviously, but how come that doesn't really translate to him being a successful rusher off the edge when they did kick him outside on those sets? Well, I mean, how, how often was he truly playing as, like, a, like from a real widened alignment, from, like, a true seven or a true nine? Mm, maybe in like thir- third and long occasionally and that's it see and that's that's the exact same thing that that people said about Ansa. they played him so much inside at, at four at five tech like right outside shade of the tackle head up on the tackle um inside i i remember people were saying about Ansa that he's not going to be able to play on the edge at all he's going to be an, an outside inside guy we didn't really have the michael bennett comp to throw it out out at the time but back in the day like back then it was every every guy who played like that like every, how every guy who plays like that now is michael bennett it used to be justin tuck like every outside inside defensive end what big a bigger one was justin tuck and that's kind of pe- what people were projecting for Ansa. i don't know what thomas's agility scores and everything are going to show up as i don't know if those have come in but uh, yeah, he, he, he ran I, I think, under seven. I think that with guys, when you play them into um, another one who was like that a lot was uh, was merciless at Illinois. Like they played him in really, really tight alignments a lot. And it really does kind of it, it screws up your pass rush when you're already starting out like from the inside like that. So when, when you have that much athleticism and everything in the NFL, you're going to put them on the outside and tell them to just fucking get upfield and beat a tackle. Yeah, we do have uh, Solomon Thomas's agility scores. He ran a. 6.95 three cone and a 4.28 20 yard shuttle at 273 pounds, which is yeah. That's yes. That, that, I'm betting on that. That's moving. like even if he even if he, he hasn't freaky. necessarily shown that he could do it. He's played inside so much. Um, I used to always say that I like edges that start their career off inside and work their way out because generally they will have developed better hand usage from being forced to play on the inside. It doesn't always play out like that, but uh, and I, I don't think that Thomas has particularly great hand use. You guys, you guys have already talked about like yeah. how he cannot hold up against a double team. Like you, you're never, you're just never going to ask him or want him to do that. So I don't know if that's really going to project for him, but uh, yeah, I think the the wide, the further outside you get, the easier it is to play for sure. What do you think would be a nice fit for him? I I, I like. Uh... Carolina and Cincinnati at the top of the yep. in the top ten. You get him. Cincinnati's next not going to look at him though because he's not like six six. Yeah, that's true. But I, I think if you yeah, get Cincinnati him next, has, well, in Carolina they're real they're real sticklers about having big defensive ends too, aren't they? Well, I mean, I know that he is bigger, but like the how Charles is he Johnson like? Does he have the run? Size. Does he have the run stopping profile that they look for out of their defensive ends? Because that's that's really what they go for, isn't it? I, I don't recall so. them drafting like sick athletes at defensive end. I think he can hold up in the run if you're playing him at end and you're like, keep your outside shoulder clean. I think he'll yeah. be totally fine at that. Because yeah. when he's handling one-on-ones, I don't think he has That's an fine. issue. And he's a, he's a decent penetrator. Um, but like, decent, I'm understating that. He's a good penetrator. Um, the thing that I worry about is holding up against double teams. And if you're, gonna be, if you're lining him up with a clean outside shoulder, I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. And I, I think putting right. him next to a guy like Kawan Short would really help him start off that rookie year because that's a guy that sees a lot of attention so if you could right. put solomon thomas some more one-on-one blocks against tight ends or tackles that would really help him out as, as a rookie yeah I, I i think that he i mean he he basically has the athletic profile that he is he, he 
Um, I saw somebody, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah tweeted showing that he's basically right there with Justin Houston in terms of, of overall physical makeup, in terms of the size, the speed, the that explosiveness scores. Yeah, they had the same three cone too. They have the same three cone? Yeah, he's Justin Houston from a physical profile. Two, 270. I mean, they're both big dudes. We don't really think of Justin Houston like that because he plays outside linebacker. Justin Houston, right, and he drops a lot. He like he drops a lot for an outside linebacker. Yeah, that was what was so crazy about Justin Houston's sack numbers a few years ago when he was like leading the sacks or leading the league in sacks. Is he was leading the league in sacks while also having like the most pass drops for a three-four outside linebacker. Yeah. So his that- like his uh, pressure to sack conversion rates were were just absolutely fucking incredible. Because we were we've we talked about this how like three four out like three four defenses you're not really necessarily sending five so no like, you're still sent, it's still a four man rush yeah and you're not, you, you're, the third you don't, don't want to you don't want to drop Tomball Lee you're not trying no. to drop Tomball Lee into coverage that's not no. that's not how you win a football games um I don't know do you have any takes on these running backs offensive linemen you haven't seen any of these offensive linemen oh offensive linemen I I have not watched it all I don't care about this offensive line class. Whatsoever, well, Jacks are taking O line at, at four. Tom yeah, Coughlin. That's, that's right. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I still think it's. I, I don't know what the Jags are going to do, man. Let's, I, let's I not talk about the Jags. Yeah, well, let's not talk about the Jags. <laughs> All right, um, let's talk about Leonard Fournette because you had some interesting takes about him in our uh, chat the other day. I yeah. So my uh, my comparison from in terms of a physical profile and from a running style profile is I thought that he looks and comps very, very similar to like peak Ronnie Brown. Um, For people that don't remember Ronnie Brown going into the combine, he was kind of like, I don't want to say that he was the forgotten man, but he was like kind of the clear third back behind Cadillac Williams and Cedric Benson. And he just, uh, he was a part-time player at Auburn, like him and Cadillac had both spent time being hurt and you know neither one of them really being able to take and run away with that job brandon jacobs was there for a year or two and they had another guy named trey mason so auburn really had four backs at the time cadillac was had the most production of the four but uh no none of them really could take and run away with that job so ronnie was kind of uh he was the 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 third guy in that class and then shows up at the combine and at like 235 pounds and runs a four four five or something like that so that was kind of what i was expecting for with Fournette. um and like i said their running styles are very very similar just the way that their feet move on that big frame um the way that uh just the way that when they run through tackles like they they kind of bend at the waist and then accelerate through the contact it's it's very like both of them are very very unique in terms of the way they move so it it it, it stood out in my mind to me like, like the comp came very very easily and quickly to me but uh yeah i, I mean i just don't know and the, the i've kind of compared this class to the 2006 running back class and uh bomani i heard it on on his show on Friday, I think it was, I, I heard the podcast and the recap of it this morning talking about the similarities in terms of draft stock and narrative uh, between Leonard Fournette and Reggie Bush. And that like when we were talking about in the group chat, I said, you know, Fournette is the bizarro Re- Reggie Bush of this class. If you look at it as, as like the 06 class. And what I mean by that is everybody kind of generally accepts the uh, just the overwhelming like they legitimately look like faster than everybody else on the field when they can hit that top gear. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you see, you see the 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 specialness of them as. I know that their body types and running styles are completely different, but you see like the specialness of both of them individually, and then it, you compound it. Like they're they're extremely special talents, but like they're both still at the point of coming out one and a half down running backs. And they play those. They play different one and a half downs. Like Reggie was, was more of a receiving specialist. Who I mean, people just kind of assume that he'd be able to run the ball in the NFL. I always had those doubts about him. Like I have, I have the old receipts on the forums of saying that you know he he would have been a slot receiver. Like if, if you put Leonard in the 2006 NFL and Reggie Bush was coming out in today's NFL, like it would have been much better for both of them. You know what I mean? But just like just kind of unfair of the era that you happen to be coming into. Uh, like I said, people just kind of assumed Reggie would be, would be able to do it, but 
that didn't necessarily bore out or bear out. And I kind of have the same questions with Leonard. Um, he can catch. I have less questions about about Fournette's ability to catch. I think he has that ability. But uh, I mean, his 2015 stuff was by far his best season, and he was not a willing pass protector whatsoever. I don't know what kind of a uh, route diversity you're going to be able to get out of him as a receiver. But in terms of you know just being able to run into the flat and catch a checkdown, I think he can do that. But I don't know how much of a contributor he's ever going to truly be. And then there's there's the whole issue too of uh, I believe he was the word Norris had somebody on his podcast. I forget the guy's name, but just tracking production from under center versus shotgun. And Fournette is kind of in the same space that, that Adrian Peterson is right now too, right. At, at the one and a half down back and to where they can't, they literally cannot play in shotgun. Like if you chart Fournette, he doesn't have a lot of production in shotgun, but if you chart it, it's, it's not good production either. So it's not like he might, like he's in that kind of that same space as Adrian and DeMarco Murray. Well, like LSU had that really weird situation where they basically like, they basically had two offenses. You know what I mean? Like they had right. their like eye, they had their eye offense, and then they had their spread offense. And it was like you either have like that's why they can't develop a quarterback is because you're you're teaching this guy two. No, I, I coach on a high school staff and, and like, try to do that exact same thing, and that's the one position. Like we could never develop a quarterback because we we like you said we were running two different offenses. We were trying to run a we were trying to run a wing T and a shotgun spread at Jesus. the same time using all the same terminology. Yeah. So it, it's it's very hard to do when when you're that schizophrenic or, or bipolar in terms of your offensive philosophy. Right. Um, I have a question for you. So since you had that opinion on Reggie Bush coming out, uh, Christian McCaffrey's a West Coast guy and he's been a big guy for years. So I assume you could speak on him. Um, what do you think about him? I was talking to Charles in a different group chat the other day about him. Like, like Mohamed Sanu right now is getting top five running back money. So, like, at what point do we think of Christian McCaffrey, if you do think that he's a game changer, like, at receiver instead of running back, if his only real big plus as a running back, like, number one positive, like, the number one thing that you'd write about Christian McCaffrey is, like, can catch out of the backfield, like, really talented catching out of the backfield. Um, what do you think about, like, I mean, at some point, we we should probably be looking at running backs and receivers like we do safeties and corners and you know, in, interior offensive linemen and offensive tackles, just in terms of the money. So if we're talking about offensive skill players, I wonder, like, about Christian McCaffrey playing receiver at some point. Well, I mean, it's, it, it, that's even kind of the same debate that the Saints got into with Jimmy Graham. With Is he a tight end or a wide receiver? And right. I, the thing is, is that what it's going to eventually come down to with those contract talks and everything like that is the percentage of plays that, you know, you line up in in certain spots – there's a lot of tight ends that detach from the formation and play all over. I can't think of any wide receivers that line up in line. You know what I mean? Right. And that's yeah. kind of the same that's kind of the same space that that the the hybrid running backs find in. I can think of a ton of running backs that go from uh, they they play running back, they play in the slot, you can line them up outside and stuff like that. I don't know very many wide receivers except for for the for the dude on the Packers and Monty. like uh, yeah. Yeah, Tyreek Hill a little bit maybe, and like Percy Harvin. In it was the like game. Percy, yeah. Yeah, where they're taking, where they're taking like they're you're lining up, you're lining him up in the eye, and you're giving him the ball on power plays. There's not a whole lot of wide receivers that are that are doing that. So there's still like I think that that still leaves room for a a solid delineation of of what those positions are and what you call a guy, um, and and a lot of it comes down to too is how does the defense treat them. You know what I mean is uh, right. when you pull when you what, pull what type out, of defense are they what type of what type of personnel are they coming in because you have to right. declare do we think that he's going to run him back or do you think he's a receiver right and the the defense is really going to tell you what he is you know what I mean right. so as far as McCaffrey specifically if uh, I mean I I bet he probably could have been a great receiver but you you've got what three years of him getting workload like workload reps at yeah. running back I mean that's what he is right now. He's a running back, and I think that he's proven that he could do it at a high level, in terms, of, especially in terms of maintaining the workload and everything. He's not my favorite inside runner by any means. I actually think like right. he can he can pop off a big play, but he's definitely kind of soft as an inside runner. Um, going down on contact, I mean, he he's just not real aggressive in terms of wanting to hit it up inside a lot of the times. Like he kind of has that uh that patient wait and see Le'Veon Bell style a little bit, but just in, mm -hmm. a, in a much, much smaller body, obviously. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's a running back through and through. I think that he could eventually probably develop into, you know, a full-time back. You just got to know that he's going to have those limitations as an inside runner. But, yeah, I, I think that he could be a, a lead back for an NFL offense down the line. Now, staying on running backs, we had – I know – I think it was uh, you, me, and Josh Norris. We had the comp for Dalvin Cook as D'Angelo Williams, like Pete D'Angelo Williams. But mm-hmm. Dalvin did not post, like, anywhere near the combine that – D'Angelo Williams had so I, I, I mean the film for Dalvin is obviously really good but does this uh, have any reservations for you now that he tested I think the ninth percentile for spark testing by uh, Zach Whitman yeah the just how bad the testing was is a surprise I didn't think that Dalvin was going to test as well as everybody else was expecting like people were yeah I think his listed over under for the betting sites and everything was 440 flat and I I knew he wasn't going to hit that like he just doesn't it was really he, he was really similar to Melvin Gordon to me where they kind of have just have that gliding style to where they look faster than they really are because they're very good at like manipulating angles and they have cra- like Delvin has crazy crazy balance too like that's the thing that really stood out to me with him but in terms of being like super explosive I didn't necessarily see that well and not even necessarily explosive in terms of having like that that final gear of breakaway speed I knew that he didn't have that, but um, in terms of like his pacing isn't, I, I don't know how much his combine is really going to affect me because, I mean, I'll go back to him and look at him, but I don't know. Like, is it, ba- he just might be a guy that like just didn't work out a whole lot and <laughs> didn't take the, pro- like didn't take this process seriously. Like, like Sue Cravens last I'm, year, kind of. Yeah, like very, I could see that to where, and if you hold it up in juxtaposition to McCaffrey, like McCaffrey's dad was an NFL player. McCaffrey's dad is also an invet, like he's an investor with Tom Brady's agent into the uh, the semi-pro football like developmental league that they're trying to get off the ground to uh, to try to like poach guys from junior colleges and colleges to stuff like that. So I have a feeling that that McCaffrey has come up into a situation where. He's he knows exactly what was going to be expected of him. Like he pulled out of his bowl game so he could prep for the combine. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he has had like that advanced uh, training to pass this test, so to speak. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a, well, there's that- a, I, I talk about it all the time with quarterbacks. Like Blaine Gabbert was a perfect example. Not that I'm comparing McCaffrey as a caliber caliber of player to Blaine Gabbert. But Blaine Gabbert was in quarterback. I mean, Gabbert's dad wasn't a pro athlete or anything, but I mean, he just came from the the background in the family where his parents basically decided, like, we're going to engineer an NFL quarterback and he's going to be in these, you know, seven on seven camps from the time that he could pick up a football. You know what I Like, if you want to go that route to where you give your kid the best advantage to pass the testing portions of this process, you can do that if you have the money and the resources. I have a hot take a little bit. Okay. Um, I think when people used to talk about the 40-yard dash as, like, uh, who is it? Walsh, right? Walsh calls it, like, the universal test of athleticism, right? Um, I think it maybe used to be, right? But because guys are testing – and guys know the, the numbers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, everyone – like the, oh, All these – all these Adidas, cap- Adidas isn't coming out with like, – you don't get an island if you break the three-cone record. You know what I mean? Like, that's not how this is going down. These guys are testing 40-yard dashes, and that's why I think when you look at, like, a three-cone, I bet I – can, I can bet you that they're testing, they're testing and training for the 40-yard dash way more than they are for, like, the three-cone and stuff like that. So when teams like the Patriots are looking at three-cones, I think – that's probably if you want to if you think that there is a legitimate you can make a legitimate difference in what your time scores are based on training, right? I think that that's why the three cone or like the short shuttle would give you a better look at a guy's true athleticism rather than their training. And that reflects on, you know, whatever true athleticism is reflects more on tape. And that's why I think those drills are important on top of just change of direction. No, yeah, I'm totally with that. And even going back to what you said about Bill Washington, the 40 being the ultimate uh, test of athleticism, for just the history of the 40, it was Paul Brown that started out doing it. And um, his reasoning behind it was just to see if guys could uh, were fast enough to cover a punt. 
That was the entire point. Of was the it form. really? Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. the entire because I mean the hang time of a pun is usually like what four four and a half seconds. Yeah, something like that. So they went and the average punt is about forty yards. So they wanted to see if a guy could get down the field in forty seconds for or forty yards in you know around four and a half seconds, and that was basically their baseline is if a guy could cover a punt or not. That's funny. Yeah, so it was kind of funny. I, I had like, I heard that before. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, and you've talked about this plenty about how, I mean, the 40 is important, especially in relation to density and body type. Right. But in terms of the overall athletic profile, um, there's other things that give you a, jet, uh, a, a good barometer of, of how good of an athlete a guy is. And I'll even say, too, we, were, we got onto this topic talking about running backs and Dalvin and how much it matters. I will say that running back – is such an instinctual position, very, very similar to off-ball linebacker, that, um, I mean, I, I think there's a pretty good correlation with guys that have good speed scores, um, their their weight and 40-time relation. Agility scores for running back is kind of all over the place in terms of correlation um, uh, of pro success. And, like, sparks were, like, explosion and everything, too. I, I don't know if there's a, a great correlation with success at the running back position, um, so it's just kind of like, it, it's just interesting what positions it really does matter for and which ones it doesn't matter for. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter at all. There's obviously thresholds that will eliminate guys and stuff. And that's what makes it interesting for Dalvin is if you are, if you go off thresholds and everything, like that one's got to go, Dalvin's he, he, got to go, yeah, Dalvin's yeah. got to go. But if, if you watch him, like, I mean, he has incredible natural running instincts that, and I mean, he, he just might not be a good test taker. Uh, He's it definitely raised more questions than answers, and um, he, he's going to be a guy that is going to be talked about a lot up until draft day. Because, um, like I said, the the film is so good of him as a runner. You know what, though, I will say too, he he's still he's also in that Melvin Gordon space. Like, and I heard Waldman talking about this. Like, people are see, have seen him Dalvin catch, so they assume that he can play all three downs. Like he he has decent you know nice route diversity as a receiver and he can catch but that dude cannot block and he is not going to play it on on third downs in the nfl until he uh he ups his willingness to block yeah i think for me that's a big difference between fournette and uh cook because fournette he'll stick his nose in there and he'll hit he'll jack you up yeah Yeah. he's got pretty good form kind of like derrick henry did last year but you know kind of uh staying on the same topic ruben foster was a jackass and got sent home from the combine, but uh, it looked linebackers like, doing linebacker shit. Yeah, yep, linebackers doing linebacker things. It looked like Zach Cunningham, who I know you're high on, had a pretty good day today. He ran a uh, four six seven forty yard dash at a six four two thirty four and a thirty five inch vertical jump and uh, one hundred twenty five inch broad jump. So, where would you kind of rank him coming out of the combine? Now that we know that Ruben Foster might be falling down the board a little bit. Um, I think there's a, it would not surprise me if there are teams that have Cunningham as the top linebacker on the board. Um, he's extremely clean on film and you can tell that he's the type of play. Like he understands run fits. He understands oh, yeah. uh, angles in the box. He understands what shoulder, I mean, not even just in terms of, of uh, like fitting up for the run and getting through the hole that you're supposed to. He understands block deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, he understands what ang- like what angle and what shoulder to attack of an offensive lineman that's coming out to him on the second level. He is excellent at all that. Um, his bad showing was against uh, Kamara in the Tennessee game. Like he let, he let Kamara break some tackles on him and get away from him. I think that's actually a bit that game and performance right there is a big reason why the NFL was so big on Kamara. Uh, coming into this week before the combine even started, like we were starting to hear hype of uh, Kamara is potentially a, a round one guy. Some teams having him as the top running back on the board, which is wild to me. But I think of a lot of it that? goes back to, yeah, there, there's been rumors like that. Yeah, Kamara. That one. No, I'm Kamara the I'm apple. He's the the apple of the NFL's eye at, at running back in this. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and and he backed it up by having the explosion scores too. I guess. Right. But uh, 
going back to Cunningham, yeah, like that that was his bad performance, but everything else is everything that you could possibly want for in a, a clean linebacker prospect. I don't know if he's going to uh, to j- actually jump into round one or linebacker one for teams just because he, he profiles to uh, to both D'Amico Ryans and Daryl Smith, both guys who were pros, pros, played in the league for a long time. D'Amico slowed down kind of early because he had knee problems, I believe, but Daryl... Daryl had the exact same 40 as Cunningham. Um, Daryl was 6'2", 234, I believe, and ran a 4'6'7". So their measurables were almost like spot on. Their movement is very, very similar. And Daryl was was one of the best coverage linebackers for a long, long time. Um, you can cross-train him to play all three linebacker spots in a 4'3". Sam, Mike, or Will, he could do all three of those. Um, both of the inside spots in a 3'4". So... It just really comes down to is that like a like him in, in the same vein as as D'Amico and Daryl, they just don't have those freak rare uh, measurements or athletic athletic measurables that kind of boost lineback off ball linebackers up into round one. So uh, I mean the the last guy that I can think of that went in round one that kind of had like that similar uh, profile was uh, the linebacker from Tennessee who played in New England forever. What was Gerard his Mayo. name? Mayo. Yeah. So, um, and that's kind of where, if he goes in round one, it's going to be towards the bottom of the first round like that. But he's in that same, that same vein of, uh, of those linebackers, I would say. I like him a lot. Did you ever see, uh, did you, did you catch Hassan Riddick at all? I know he didn't play a lot of, uh, off the ball linebacker, but he had yeah, a big day. I only, too. Yeah. I only saw like one game, I think of it, of him. He played a little bit of, of like apex linebacker where he was splitting mm-hmm. the difference between the receiver and the, and the box, but no snaps I think I saw of him playing off ball. So that one is purely, purely projection, and I haven't seen enough of him to say, but I will say that just from his his physical profile, how he looked playing edge, um, I would say that he's definitely a linebacker and not not a defensive lineman. So mm-hmm. that, that's really the only take I have on him, is that he, he's definitely somebody that I would want to convert and move off the ball. And I know his numbers were crazy, so he's probably going to be getting like those Jamie Collins comparisons. Am I correct? Yeah, probably. I've seen a lot of Shazier. It's funny because he uh, he played off ball at the Senior Bowl, and he drew rave reviews that week for his ability and coverage, especially yeah. for a guy who hadn't played in coverage like barely at all in college because he was always uh, had his hand on the line of scrimmage. So I don't know if he's like sneaks into that top twenty range because, like like you said, is it's a huge projection. But uh, he definitely has like the athletic ability to do it. And yeah, I think I, there there is film on him because he was he he came into school as a walk on cornerback, and then he moved really? to linebacker. Yeah, he was a walk on cornerback because I think he played like three games of football his senior year of high school. Uh, he ended up getting hurt, so he didn't get a scholarship offer. He ended up going to Temple as a walk on cornerback. Then he moved to linebacker. Then he moved to defensive end. So I think there is linebacker tape, but. I, that I would, haven't seen it. I just graded him as, as just a Just you telling me that then, that it, it doesn't surprise me that he would show out well at the Senior Bowl because that it, maybe it's not like it's not going to be a huge, uh, as big a conversion for him as like I just made it sound. Um, yeah. If he has that kind of background, that I mean, look at Peppers, who was a former corner who can't cover it all. I mean, Peppers has moved from like corner to safety to linebacker, but dude can't cover at all. This guy seems like he has a similar profile, but I mean, he might have, uh, he just might have those natural cover skills. He's obviously much longer and lengthier. And really like what a lot of coverage stuff comes down to for linebackers is uh, just understanding uh, passing routes and combinations and understanding angles and getting into the throwing lane. Like it's not as complicated as a lot of people make it seem. A lot of it is just, do you have the athleticism and the brains to get there? Pepper steaks? Do you have pepper steaks? He's a running back. <laughs> Not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he, he, he definitely. He, his best tape comes from on his returns when he has the ball in his hand, and that's when he does his like his most special stuff. That's what I've said for him, and he's a guy I've kind of had an eye on. He's one of the few that I like actually checked out before the season started because that's who was he was getting heavy heavy mocks to to Jacksonville before he was even coming into the year. You know, as like uh, the potential Cyprian replace strong safety replacement a year ahead. Um, like I say, I, I'm just I'm not a big fan of his defensive tape. I know he was productive. If you need a guy 
can go and play the apex and make a tackle on a bubble screen, he's your guy. If he's an overhang about, defender. Yeah. Yeah. If you're talking about doing any other real linebacker or DB stuff, I don't have a good he, prognostication for that. He's he's not great at it. You know what's funny to uh, me is uh, he gets the Dion Buchanan comps all the time, but Dion Buchanan is not really a good linebacker like at all. No, he's not. He's and, not. and he's not a good linebacker, and Jabril is like a worse, smaller version of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think Dion, Dion got a lot of hype from when Arizona was really good and their defense was really good. And he had he had a, a D-line. Like, their offense was playing at a high enough level to where teams couldn't just grind him out. You know what I mean? Teams yeah. were having to play catch-up and throw the ball and, and keep up with the Cardinals' offense. You saw this year when the Cardinals reverted to a little bit more of a grind-the-ball-out, play-slow type of team. You saw those, it, those flaws get exposed a little of him playing like as a true linebacker and not being able to just you know run down the field with tight ends and shit. That's not playing linebacker. Is is Dion Buchanan the like false cognate version at linebacker that like Coney Ely was after the Super Bowl, where everyone was like, yeah, he's gonna be like Coney Ely in the NFL about uh, <laughs> pass rushing prospects? It's like Coney Ely sucks. Coney Ely's not Coney Ely's not actually a good pass rusher or productive at all. Yeah, well, and I mean, Carol or uh, the Cardinals had kind of some success too already with uh with a tweener who everybody said those same things about but he was he was a corner safety tweener in in tyron matthew and that one ended up working out for them so i think that people just kind of assumed oh the linebacker safety tweener is gonna work out just fine too and i mean you can he i mean i'm not saying that he's absolutely terrible there's things that you can point to that he does well and and he was also a first rounder which i don't care what anybody says round pick you just kind of have a cachet built in to where like the excuses will get made for you like uh the team's gonna be behind you they're gonna play they're gonna default to to playing you and keeping you on the field you, you know what i mean like you yeah. just kind of have that first round cachet behind you to start off with all right we're at about 40 minutes you guys want to dive into some of these questions that we got from twitter Let's do it. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. The first one from EMS at Emilio underscore Largo. What is this fascination with Mitch Trubisky? Are the usual suspects at work to pump up questionable candidates? Eric, you've seen him at all? I have not seen him at all. I have seen uh, like gifs or gifs, however you want to say it, that people have put up on him. But uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just get out right and say it that like I used to be a very, very, very into when I did this a lot more into scouting based on um, traits because I or thought that traits are super, super projectable or more reliable. That's really all the way that we do it in terms of uh, just being able to to try to project off of you know the same four or five YouTube cutups that everybody else is watching. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's all the information and stuff we have to work with. So. In recent years, I've become much more fascinated and uh, like kind of based my time around stuff. And I know that people hate this, but studying the narratives of guys, I want tell me the story. Like, who is he like? Like, who who is he comparable to? And the one that I guess the the prospect that the reason I can't I personally can't get on the Mitch Trubisky hype train and like I said I haven't even watched him and I'll <laughs> say that right off the bat I I watched the dude but like this um I I guess situation wise who you could kind of compare to any and even an uh, athletic profile is Tannehill to where you've got basically not, and Tannehill at least played for a year and a half this dude played for one year. You've got one year on him. Did not make his team significantly better. In fact, you could art North Carolina has eight guys at this combine. They've got eight guys like at the NFL combine. They they had they had one win for every NFL player they had on that team. <laughs> That's not good. And a year before with uh, what was the, uh, Marquise the quarterback Williams. Marquise Williams? Like they were a much better team in offense with Marquise Williams. They brought everybody back and had a what four game drop off. Yeah, you you'd have a really hard time explaining to me how that happens with a top quarterback prospect because there's a lot of like the guys that don't play a lot or or have, don't have like the great uh, a huge long track record. Usually, they still elevated their program to a much higher level. 
Um, Cam Newton is obviously the one that jumps out in my mind, like right away. Like Auburn will <laughs> that Auburn team that won a national championship had Cam Newton and and nothing Nick, else. Nick, the defensive tackle too, Nick, Nick Fairley. Fairley, and a bunch of nothing. Uh, Marcus Mariota, he I, he was a long term starter, but those teams at Oregon progressively got worse as he kept starting. And his yeah. final year there, no Chip Kelly playing with a walk-on left tackle and walk-on wide receivers. And they were the exact same program that they had been with Marcus Mariota. And as soon as he left, huge drop-off. Yeah, you know what's, what's interesting about that, too, is uh, if you look at what happened in Mississippi State when Dak Prescott left, you know, when he was there, they were up there competing with Alabama, yeah. LSU, like maybe not winning every time, but at least in the game. And the second that Dak, Pre- Dak Prescott steps off the college field, that team fell off a cliff last year. They suck. And yeah. I know that college rosters have some turnover, but there's still uh, <clears throat> there's still some stability from there's more stability year to year than people think. And like I said, in North Carolina specifically, they brought that whole team back. Yeah, so I mean, kind of staying on the same track, let's look at Deshaun Kaiser, who had a great supporting cast in 2015, and then QB1. Yeah, relax. And then when he lost what Will Fuller, Ronnie Stanley. CJ Prosize, Nick Martin, all to the top three rounds of the draft. And that team just kind of fell apart this year. So does that drop off concern you uh, going from 2015 to 2016? I have no idea what to make of Kaiser. Um, And that, like, I would love to just, like, like pick people's heads around the league, like what they think of him. I mean, because... You're going to be able to pull up all the cut-ups and show him making all the throws and looking like a, like the type of athlete that you want at quarterback. Like All the tools are going to be there for you to find if you want to sit there and watch the film. What I want to know is, is his confidence shot? And if it is, how could – like? Is that are you going to be able to tell me that he's going to go into the, the best possible nurturing environment in the NFL to – you're already going into it like like assuming you're going to have to build his confidence back up. Very very it reminds me a lot of Joey Arrington in Detroit. Like Joey Arrington was not a naturally confident dude. Um all the tools and everything were there at Oregon. He uh he was really like the the first Oregon quarterback to kind of like take that program into like the next level of prominence. This is even before like Chip got there or anything when Bellotti was still running the team. Like they were kind of they uh, I, Joey was on the cover of NCAA football, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yep. Joey, yeah, back in the day, that's right. Um, so I, I mean, I, I know I'm getting off on a tangent, but confidence was always the question with Joey. And when I read about Kaiser and he's saying things that like he almost quit football in 2014 because his performance in spring football was so bad. And then everything's good in 2015 when he's surrounded by a bunch of first-round talent at wide receiver, left tackle, running back, and the team is good and everything is great. And he looks good. But then 2016 happens. Um, they don't commit to uh, Brady, Brady Hoke doesn't commit to him full-time as a starter. Brady Hoke is mean to him. Brian Kelly. Um, or Brian Kelly. Who, who was I saying? Brian Brady, Hoke? You're saying Brady Hoke. Brady, Brady Hoke, Hoke, the defensive coordinator at Oregon. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Great. <laughs> where was Brady Hoke at before? He was the Michigan guy, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Brian Kelly. Getting names mixed up. Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly. Uh, like we all know that Brian Kelly is an asshole, but if you're telling me that the the quarterback goes to the tank because he's not in you know uh, a sunshine and but- butterflies and puppies nurturing environment. Like what? What exactly am I getting here? And the because the performance definitely dropped off. He had that crazy good game against what was it Texas early in Texas, the season? Yeah, first game of the season. Yeah, when he was splitting reps with the other dude. But um, just as the season progressed and went, he looked like a player that lost confidence. And you already have him on the record saying that his lost confidence caused him to almost quit football. So what am I drafting here? Up like. Like what? I I just don't know if I'd be willing to bet on that. Confidence See, that's that's huge. that's the thing you could sell me on more than like, does he need all this talent to succeed? Because he did it against Texas. You know what I mean? Like he did it with this team. The problem is it just like down the line, the wheels just fell off, and that that's my biggest thing. Because it's like that could be the I, confidence is something that's tangible. Like I don't yes, I don't think I that agree. that yeah like that that's something that's very real. Like you. Man, you played football. I mean, it, it, I don't want to get into like dumb like sports 
sports talk, like radio type situation, but like confidence is a real thing on the football field. Like momentum is like a real thing on the football field. And I don't think it's necessarily like a thing that has to be in a specific game. Like if you're, if you're, how many times have we seen a guy have like turn a, a shitty game into a shitty season? Like in the NFL, you know what I mean? Phil oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, totally. And, and I think with, with young quarterbacks, especially too, there's always like, I mean, unless you're you're really sitting down and covering a team from the day to day, or you are on that team playing on it, there's always a moment with a young quarterback that hasn't proven himself yet, where there's like a true nut cutting moment in a game where a quarterback steps up and pulls off a win that a team shouldn't have got, and everything kind of rolls on from there. And that I mean, that moment should have been the the Texas game, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, you can. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can point to those moments where he does that. Like, you can even watch. Uh, what was it? The Virginia game. His his. Uh, what would it have been? Freshman season. Twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So like, that game. He's coming off the bench because of injury, I think, and he just like they end up winning. He's like throws a last second touchdown. Like he had those moments. You know what I mean? Like he had those nut cutting moments. It's just like down the stretch, he just like couldn't complete a screen pass, and I don't know what the hell you do with that. I think more of him than Hackenberg. For sure. I think more of him than Hackenberg. Because I think we had two years of like... I think if, if Kaiser would have gone back to school and he would have looked like he did at the end of this season, I think I'd have a lot more issues than what he is right now. Because I think right now it's like a bad half of the season with, with Christian Hackenberg. It was a bad two full years. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of traveling down Narrative Street here a little bit. But this is one of the reasons why I really like Deshaun Watson. because you see him make those mistakes in the, in the big games. But you never see his confidence waver. He's always kind of ready to go. All right, we get another chance at the ball. And I think, you know, that last drive in the Alabama game, we led the team down the field. And then he had the, the huge performance versus Alabama in uh, 2016. So I, I think that's more of the personality at quarterback that I gravitate toward, which is why I like him a lot. And, you know, he's not the most perfect prospect. And I think at their peaks, Kaiser was probably a more talented passer than him. But I, I do think that the narrative of, being confident and being willing to shake off your mistakes and stay strong. I, I think that does have some value. And I just don't really see that with Kaiser as much. And like we said, the back half of his season was really, really bad. Yeah. You, like eventually you're going to, if you're a team that, that is talking about selecting him in the top 10 or whatever, like you, you have to have some real good answers that you're comfortable with to explain away. Um, the back half of 2016, and like I said, him wanting to quit football in 2014. And I know that makes me sound like, you know, football guy, uh, the NFL cares about dumb things um, at times, like when, uh, I don't know, there, there's other examples that I can give that I can't think of off the top of my head. But I don't know, man. His confidence is is something that definitely concerns me. And juxtaposing him to, to Deshaun Watson, like you just did, um, I mean, Watson – makes mistakes and everything else like that. But the dude is a gamer. Um, I, his accuracy could be better. He, he's more of a thrower. Faster. Um, but I mean, he, he trusts guys. He gives guys a shot. He. And I know people hate the way of describing guys like this, but he, he is a winner and a gamer and he, he passes like the thresholds of what you would want physically and and as a thrower i mean he he reminds me a lot of like the good versions of that i've seen of blake bortles to where even when bortles has made mistakes he you know he's going to go back out there on the next drive and, and you know chuck down ball and everything i think deshaun is smart they're they're both very turnover prone but uh i think deshaun understands football better but in terms of, of just the aggressiveness and the confidence, I mean, Blake's confidence went into the tank this year, and you could definitely tell that. But when they were on a roll and, and that offense production team, um, just the, uh, the, the pros and the flaws of the two players were kind of similar in my eyes. All right. Uh, so let's go to the next question from Frank uh, Daniel at NFL Draft Depot. Which team in round do you think Joe Mixon will fall to? Now, this is a bit of a loaded question. I mean... Team? I have no idea. I could not even... Well, we, we, can, we can eliminate teams, right? 
Yeah. We know for a fact that it's not going to be the Ravens that draft Joe Mixon. Right. Or the Falcons. Um, or the Falcons. Green Bay's a bunch um, of milk drinkers. They're out. Yeah, Green Bay's not going to draft him. It's weird to me that Detroit stuck their neck out there like that. What, they that t- he's not? Yeah, they said that he's not going to be off their draft board, right? Right. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. It was almost like because uh, Ted Thompson was the first dude to talk about Mike Vick when Mike Vick came out of out of prison. Like it's weird that teams kind of stick their neck out like that. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to think of that. Yeah, I don't know. I I just think that there's they're just saying that he's not off the. They didn't want to put anything more or less out there than you know he's on our board. And until we get a chance to talk to him, like he's going to be on our board. I don't. Looks like Eric's cutting out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> As terms of uh, eval, and that's the evaluation of him. Dan Hatman talks about evaluation versus valuation all the time. Evaluating him, he's the, in my opinion, the best running back in the class. You would have a lot of problems, I think, finding anybody who would say that he's outside of their top three running backs in this class. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. He's widely regarded as a top three running back prospect in this class. That's the evaluation of him. Eric's dead. Yep. Eric Eric's is deceased. Eric. Should we call the end the end of this or what? Yeah, we can call the end of it. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is what we should. This is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. Okay. Eric just cut out. Uh, in terms of, t- ah. <laughs> just back. We, should we? Make it, should we, I'm going to make, kick him off the call. Yeah, that's fine. Now the, Boom. kick bye. him off the call. All right. Sorry, Eric. All bye. Right. Um, see you, Eric. Okay. We so this is what we're gonna do. Yep. We're going to get KP. We're going to ask him, uh, yeah, we'll do this. Okay. So Eric Stoner cut out, uh, we're kicking, we're kicked him off the Skype call. We're going to end this since we we're running a little long anyway. Um, so we were talking to our friend, Danny Kelly from the ringer, who all of you guys ran into his mentions and asked about Tim Williams. Um, he, we're going to, we're going to do a new thing. Cause we couldn't decide who we wanted to get after Danny Kelly, since Danny Kelly is so cool and nice to us. Uh, so what we ended up doing is we asked Danny Kelly, whose mentions we should ruin with you guys. Or who, I'm back. Which one? What's up, Eric? <laughs> back All, from right, the dead. <laughs> All right. Are you, are you, or are you not alive? Can you do this or no? I'm alive and I can do it. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna turn the video off to see if that helps anything on your side. Okay, well, we are just about to get Posey. Oh, God. Why? Because Danny oh, we just Kelly wanted to win this matches. Yeah, oh, Danny okay. Kelly told us to. We got Danny Kelly. Uh, should we do this, Chuck? Yeah, what, what should we say? I don't know. Should we call him the draft buzz? Your app was Sunday fiasco, and I forget. <laughs> I, I can't believe that you were able to, like, you were able to just, like, cleanse that from your brand completely. That like that is brought up every single fucking day. I got the sauce, dude. <laughs> your your lucky calling got that damn Twitter handle. Yeah, I am. Uh, Posey, 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 Posey. So should we make him? Should we make him ask a question about if it is uh who's his boyfriend, the Kansas State guy, uh, Jordan, Jordan Willis? Willis? Yeah. If Jordan Willis is better than uh Miles Garrett, Miles. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, just so if you so at KP underscore show is Jordan Willis better than Miles Garrett? And I we we need you to spam his mentions hard. Hard. Heavy. We want every single one of you in there. Uh we have more five star reviews than Peter King right now. Uh we're creeping up on Josh Norris's podcast, even though he has a million views and he likes to tote that number around. So like as many of you got, we got like what is it? More than fifty? We got more than fifty people to review our podcast. We should get more than fifty people in Kyle Posey's mentions and just ruining it. I agree. I'm always one hundred percent here for ruining anything that has to do with Kyle Posey. All right, Eric, you got anything you want to plug before we uh, get out of here? Um, I believe that we are going back on for the Big Cat Country podcast, the Jaguars podcast, Keep Chopping Wood. I think we're coming back this week. Oh, yeah. I'll be um, on with you guys tomorrow. Yes. Oh, so we are back. Thank you, I guess, for reminding me that my podcast is, is back, and it's back tomorrow. Um, other than that, I'll probably be recording with Sully some of the time this week. And I've also been kind of kicking the idea around of maybe just doing a like a weekly 
draft pod uh, until you know the draft actually happens. So it'll only be like what a six or eight episodes or whatever, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, just because I have a lot of takes that are going on right now, and I don't want to give them all to Twitter because some of them, you know, need to be fleshed out a little bit longer than 140 characters will allow, and I'm also too lazy to write anymore. So that might be something that I do. So um, I don't know if you would like to hear that. Let me know so it would kind of motivate me to to go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Find him on Twitter at Bo Jackson, spelled B E A U X. Correct, J A X S O N. I like to make it as hard as possible to. Justice, you got anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, nope. All right, and that's. Y'all know where to find me. Yeah, unfortunately. So that's going to conclude episode 15 of Set in the Edge. We'll be back next week with NFL.com writer Marcus Grant to cover offensive skill players for the NFL draft. See you guys next week.